Yeah, if you have a Bible, open to the book of John. We're in John chapter 8. We're continuing our series in the study of John. That's what we do here at this church. We go through books of the Bible uh, and try to work through verse by verse as much as we can and see what the Scripture has for us and how we can walk that out and live that out in our life. And we're right now in the middle of a book of John. If you have missed any of these messages, uh, you can always go to our website, which is redemptionaz.com. Uh, click on the Gilbert Congregation, and you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to track with us. And if you're watching online. Um, uh, we welcome you. We're glad that you are joining us here this morning. But John chapter 8, we're going to look at the passage that was read just a moment ago. We'll be in verse 31 through 36. Um, have you ever had something in your life uh, that you knew was bad for you? Like you knew this was bad for you and you actually broke free from it, um, but you still ended up going back to it. So a real easy question to start our time together this morning, but there was something that was bad in your life that you knew it, and so you broke free from it, but you ended up going back to it, whether it was a, a habit, or a food, or a drink, or a person, or a place, and you knew it was unhealthy, you knew it was bad, you broke free and you went back. Something that had a kind of a control over you, but there was still something about it that kind of had ownership over you and that kind of pulled you back to it. We've all had that. We've all had that. And in fact, the Bible has plenty to say about that in our lives. In fact, the people of God um, are not immune to that. The people of God have experienced that in their history. Uh, in Numbers chapter 11, so that the nation of Israel, the people of God, uh, were, were finally free from slavery in Egypt. So for centuries, uh, they were slaves to the nation of, of Egypt. And God, if you read in the book of Exodus, uh, actually leads them out out, delivers them from their slavery. And in Numbers chapter 11, we catch up with them uh, and, and they've been kind of working their way, wandering through the wilderness. Uh, and as they were in the wilderness, God provided in amazing ways. Matt talked about that last week with the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. Uh, but he provided something for them called manna. And uh, actually the word manna means what is it? Because when they showed up, they're like, what is that? Uh, but manna was kind of like a sticky grain uh, that they would build in into these cakes, and it would, it would be, it was like bread. It was like literal bread from heaven. So in Numbers chapter 11, the people of God, they, they didn't, they complained because they didn't have anything to eat. God gives them manna. They have things to eat now, but now they're complaining about the manna. They're like, we're sick of eating the manna. And listen to what they say. They say, oh, that we had meat to eat. Remember the, the fish that we ate when we were in Egypt. And then they have this phrase, it's amazing. It said, they cost us nothing. Like, you were slaves. <laughs> for centuries. They're like, it cost us nothing. And then the, the scripture says, we had cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. We had everything that we wanted. It cost us nothing. You see, they, they forgot that they had a master, but they remembered the, the menu. Actually, if you read that story in Numbers 11, it's pretty fascinating because they complain so much that they don't have any meat to eat that God sends all these quail, and they eat all these quail, and God says, I'm going to give you so much meat, you're going to choke on it and make yourself sick. And they actually eat so much quail, a lot of them get sick and die. Sounds like a plague there. So read your Bible. It's amazing. There's some stuff in it that's just wild. Um, but that's what happens there. And that's not, that's not just those people at that time. That's all of us. In fact, the wisdom writer says in Proverbs verse 26, it says, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Pretty disgusting picture. I think it's meant to be disgusting because it is disgusting because that's what we do. 
And the same way that we think about being owned or under control or slavery is the way that God talks to us about sin, our rebellion against a holy God. But it's also how he talks about when he sets us free from sin, from the master of sin. But still, if we're honest, we still have a desire for the comfort of sin, even though we know there are chains. We have a type of amnesia about the bondage of sin. Because that's the nature of sin. It helps you to remember its comforts, but disguises its bondage. And in John chapter 8, what we're going to look at here this morning, we're going to see how Jesus casts a vision of spiritual freedom. And as he does, he helps us understand and remember remember that there is a real slavery to sin. And it's important for us this morning because we're praying for freedom. We're singing about freedom. But you won't understand spiritual freedom until you understand that there is a slavery to sin. God needs to open our eyes to that, illuminate that reality and that truth to us. And only he can do that. Um, So let's pray and let's ask him to help us with our text this morning. Father in heaven, we love you. God, we thank you for the way that you love us. In fact, you say in your word that the banner that you fly over us is love. And so I'm just so thankful for that, that as we approach, um, God, your word this morning, and God, like the mirror that it is, as it starts to reflect in us things about us, um, God, that are anti-you, um, God, I just thank you for the way that you bring these, two, these things to us in love. Your word says it's by your kindness that we're led to repentance, that we're led to a turning. So um, I just want to start by thanking you for your your amazing love. And God, um, we do want to experience freedom. All over this room, and God, people who are watching this, we want to experience true freedom. And God, you know where those places of captivity are. You know where those places of bondage are. And so God, I'm asking you right now to just specifically speak and intervene and work in those places, God, in a powerful way like only you can. God, freedom does not come through me or any ability or or talent or anything that I might have. Um, We just read that it's only the Son that sets us free. And your word tells us that where your spirit is, there's freedom. So Holy Spirit, would you come? And would you work in freedom and in power in this very moment? I want to invite you, if you're listening, just to pray. um, Just pray that very specific prayer that God today might bring freedom to a particular area of your life. God would bring freedom to your whole life. And that only comes by a work of the Spirit. So would you just pray that the Holy Spirit would come? Just pray that God would bring freedom. Jesus, we love you and we need you. We pray all these things in your powerful name. Amen. So where we are in John chapter 8, if you've not been tracking with us, Jesus, uh, he's recently just finished speaking about living water. Um, We saw him with the woman who was caught in adultery. Um, We've heard Jesus proclaim that he is light of the world. If you missed what Pastor Matt brought last week, you need to go back and listen to that. Um, And he's in the midst of these people. So surrounding Jesus, there's groups of people who uh, they're they're really trying to lean in and listen to him teach. They want to know what he's all about. But then there's this also group 
group of Pharisees or religious leaders who they're against Jesus. So they're looking for a way that they can arrest him, have him arrested and ultimately have him killed. And so in the middle of that uh, group of people, listen to what Jesus says. He says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So in the middle of this group of people that Jesus is arresting, what John's trying to show us here is that he's addressing not only those who have recently believed in him or into him, but also, and really more emphatically, those who have previously believed or previously followed but are now wavering. And some of those people, they're not just wavering, they're actually trying to position themselves for how they can have a, a counterattack on this on person of Jesus. And he says, if you're truly my disciples, if you're really my follower, really my disciples, and he has to have that clarifying statement there because if you remember back to John chapter 6, after Jesus had fed the people with the, with the bread and the fish, uh, and he, then he says to them after that moment, because they come after some more bread, he says, look, if you eat my flesh and you drink my blood. And then the scripture says there's all kinds of people who just go away because they're like, no, man, we just are here for more bread. We ain't trying to eat you or drink your blood, Jesus. That's not, that's not what this is about. And the scripture says, it's really one of the saddest passages is that many walked away. Many fell away. In John chapter 6, it says they turned back and no longer followed him. Because Jesus gave them a really hard teaching to deal with. He gave them something that caused tension within them. And what Jesus has to clarify here is that the disciple or the follower is not just simply the one who calls himself the discipler, disciple. Or not just simply the one who calls himself the follower. It's the one who's still following the teacher. It's the one who continues to follow. Tom Trader, who was the founding pastor, he, he, he would always talk to us young guys because there was a lot of conversation in the church world about leadership. And he'd say, I'll tell you how you know who's a leader. They have someone who's actually following them. You may call yourself a leader, but if no one's following him, you're not a leader. You're just out on a walk by yourself. And so it's the same way if we call ourselves a disciple, we call ourselves a follower, but we're not actually following or continuing in our following. You're not a follower. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And Jesus understands that he's got to make that distinction because when you look at Jesus, there's always a crowd. There's always people that are around him, and there are people who are consider themselves a follower or a disciple, even though they are the ones who get to make up their own definition of that. So he drops this hard teaching on them. He drops this tension on them. And at some point, there are people who don't continue because there's a difference in believing in Jesus or believing into Jesus, which is a way I like to say it better in John here, and believing Jesus. Meaning believing in someone or something means trust, it means confidence, it means, it means faith. You can believe that I can drive, uh, but that doesn't mean that you believe in my driving. You might say, I believe you can drive, but you won't ever get in the car with me. Or you'll get in the car with me and you won't comment on my driving the whole way. Not that I have anybody in my life like that, but... But Jesus realizes she comes to the first hour anyway, so it doesn't matter. Jesus realizes this difference, so he creates this tension in this teaching because Jesus knows something about you and I, that there's a way of operating that we normally and naturally have where we just want to do what we want to do. 
You see, functionally in my life and in yours, but I'll talk about me, naturally, fleshly, I look more like a follower of me than of Jesus. You see, because you and I, we always have this other religion that's operating in us. I am and have been for 42 years a devoted follower of Paul Artino. I love what Paul has to say. I love what Paul has to think. That's my religion. And I have to transfer that trust from following me to following Jesus. And it's a constant devotion that we must have to Christ to break the slavery of sin. We must be able to follow and continue to follow Jesus. If you read this verse from the, from the English Standard Version, from the ESV, it uses the word abide. Jesus says, if you abide in my word. And NIV reads, if you, if you hold to my teaching. It's its idea, really, that if you make your home in my word. That's the idea of the original language in the, in the Greek. It would be to dwell. Like if you dwell in Christ's word as, a, as, a, as you do in your home where it's your center, it's your place of rest, it's your place of refuge, it's the place that you go to. If you, if you make your home in God's word, he's saying that's what it is to follow, to abide. And, and Jesus here, he, he's, he's presenting a challenge, but it's such a gracious promise. It's an it's a if-then statement. If you will make your home in my word, then you are really my followers. You're truly my followers. And it's, and it's not legalism. Jesus is not instituting Bible study as a new law. Of course, studying the scriptures is not a sin, but Jesus is inviting us into something deeper. It's, it's this gracious invitation. He's inviting us into a faith and an obedience that flows out of the word of God. He's not just saying, study me, although studying someone that you love is a great way to grow in your devotion and in your adoration for that person. But he's not just simply saying, study me. He's saying, follow me. Believe into me. Put your life into me. I, I once had a job um, where I would have to dress up as either uh, SpongeBob SquarePants um, or Clifford the Notorious B.I.G. Red Dog. And those, those were the two costumes that we had. And so this is, this is not a job I had in high school. This is like post-college, post-marketing degree, post, like, I mean, this is like supposedly a real job. Um, but we would, it, I worked for a, a magazine that was catered towards families and children. We would put on these big events. Uh, and my boss was like, you're going to put on these big events. Uh, and so I thought, oh, then this is a really great role. But it obviously wasn't because I was the one in the suit. So I would have to put these events together and then get in the Clifford suit and go and walk around these uh, events and stuff. And so I remember um, my parents had come once because they really wanted to see why it cost so much money for me to go to college to dress up as Clifford the Big Red Dog. Uh, and so they would showed up to one of these events. And now these both of these costumes, um, they had huge grins on them because it a frown would be creepy, but they had these big grins, uh, and in the place of where the grin was, because the head was like huge on Clifford, uh, it was a big mesh smile, so I could kind of see through, so that was how I saw, I saw through the big smile of Clifford, the red dog, big red dog. So uh, I, I'm walking around, my parents are at this event, my dad comes out to me, he gets super close, comes right up to the mesh kind of smile, and he looks inside, and then he says to me, he's like, you know, son, you don't have to smile so big inside that costume. They can't really see you. But what I did when I put on the Clifford suit, I became Clifford. And so Clifford's smiling big. 
So I'm in there grinning, cheesing, as the kids say. Big old smile. And when I stepped into Clifford, I walked around the world and I showed up in places like I was Clifford the big red dog. And Jesus is saying, look, put on my word. Step into my word so that when you live in the world, you live into my word in that word. And that's how you show up in the world. So if you, if you make the word of God your home, that's where you dwell, you abide. When you step into the world, you're going to step into the world the way that Jesus would step into the world. You're going to go into the places and you're going to know the word of God. And so you know how the person of God would show up in this place. Last week, I thought this was so great when Matt was talking about the culture of Jesus. And so when you do have to interact and, inter- and, and, and show up in these different topics and ideas and themes and things that are going on in the world, you don't just show up with your own ideology. You actually show up with the word of God. And so the person of God enters into conversations uh, uh, that, that normally where you would just show up in your own opinion and you're now able to show up with the word of God and the person of God interrupts there. He's not saying, look, here's a set of impossible standards and procedures. He's saying, if you will live in this magnificent home that I've given you that is my word, you will be my disciples. And so practically, for us to make our home in his word means a decision that we make to faithfully listen to and live according to the teachings of Jesus. A commentator I read this week uh, describes it like this. I I think this is great. He says, a settled determination. Meaning, if you make your home in the word of God, it's not like, "Ah, I wonder what I'm going to use to process how I think about this or process how I show up in this place or process how I navigate this. No, there is a settled determination to live in the word of Christ and by it, which entails a perpetual listening to and reflection on and holding on to and carrying out of the word of God. This uh, like lit up for me yesterday in this room. There, there was a celebration of the life of Jesse Herrera. We talked about him last Sunday. Jesse and his wife have faithfully served this church for decades. Jesse sadly passed away last week. and um, Yesterday, this room was, was packed. And there was a moment in that service where people began to give testimony about Jesse's life. And, and Jesse, uh, he served in youth ministry here for a long time. He served in one of our sister churches, a work that was kind of grown out of this church called Ponda Vida. He was amazing with them, with that in that community. Uh, Jesse worked um, in, in auto body repair. He was incredibly skilled in that, actually. Uh, and then Jesse spent a lot of time at Fox Cigar Bar. And what was amazing is there was testimony from each of those worlds. And each testimony had the same theme to it. Jesse, when he would show up with his students and youth, and when he showed up at Fox Cigar Bar. By the way, there was testimony from Fox Cigar Bar, and I just, I think that's great. So I'm, I'm praising God for that. I think that's awesome. Um, I, thought that was, I thought that was beautiful. But it was all the same. Here's what we know about Jesse. When I sat with him, he loved Jesus. He loved the Word of God. He loved me. And he would tell me over and over again, Jesus is everything. And the student heard that, and the person smoking a cigar with him heard that. In fact, we had a, 
I didn't say, tell this first hour, but my wife and I had uh, some work done on one of our cars, and I said, hey, Jesse, you know, I, I reached out to him. Where should I go? He said, well, I used to work at this place. They're really good. We showed up. The person who's walking around the car with us is telling us all of these things that I had heard about Jesse in all these different places. His coworkers all knew him the same. You know why? Because Jesse made his home here. He dwelt in the word and the word dwelt in him. And it was, it was like you squeeze him and it just comes out. There was somebody um, yesterday at the, at the close of the service that came up to me and they said, you know, I know why Jesse really liked this church. You have on one of your banners out there, all of life is all for Jesus. That's what Jesse was all about. I said, Jesse, now Jesse was doing that way before we put it on a banner and way before we put it, we had a, made a slogan out of it. It was just, he was just, that was just him. Meaning Jesse understood there was no like sacred place. Like, the, like a Sunday is a sacred place and that's where we sing and that's where we talk about Jesus. We do that in like a church world. But then there's also secular spaces like where I go and like hang out with my friends. That didn't exist. There were no boundaries like that for Jesse because the word was in him. So everywhere he went, he showed up with the word of God in him. And all of his life was all for Jesus, and it was all sacred, and it was all worship. And so what Jesus is calling us to is saying there's to be a loyal obedience to the word of God in our homes, in our church, in our world. So for us as a church to make our home in the word of God means it is to be centrally heard and centrally honored. The church is about no other name than the name of Jesus. And his word is preeminent and prominent. And Jesus is inviting us to freedom, the invitation to know the truth. And, and, and wherever you are on the spectrum of your life with God, whether you've been with God for a long time or you don't even have a life with God or you're not a Bible person or you're not a church person, regardless of where you are, there is something that's common to all of us. We all want what's true. We all want what's genuine. We hate being deceived. We hate being lied to. We all want what's true. And Jesus said, I'm inviting you to know the truth and I'm inviting you to experience freedom. Another thing, all of us want. We all want true freedom. None of us want to be in bondage. None of us want to be enslaved things. And that's the reality that Jesus is presenting, the liberty of a forgiven and reconciled relationship with God only through the person of Jesus. But if we don't understand our own desire to do our own thing, to make our home in our real religion of self, then you'll never understand the true slavery of sin. If we don't understand that, like, no, I really want to make a home with what I want. That's where I really want to live. And if we don't understand that that's where we start, that God's calling us out of that, we'll never really understand the true slavery of sin. And listen to what Jesus says in John 8, 34. He says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now look at what he says there. Everyone. He's not just talking about disciples or pastors or leaders or church people. He's saying any and everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now he's not talking about committing single isolated acts of sin, but those who make a life of sin. We can use John to clarify John. John writes uh, another 
letter in, in 1 John, this is what he says in 1 John chapter 3. He says, everyone who, who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. He's speaking of Jesus. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who's born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Now, he's not saying that every person who sins is not a servant of God, because God would have no servants. He's saying the person who makes sin, that choice of sin, their way of life, or who prefers the way of wickedness over holiness, who prefers a life of sin. What, what he's saying is that everyone who continues in sin, the same way that a disciple continues in following, as a slave to sin, or continues in sin. And Jesus is saying, I'm offering liberation from that captivity and bringing freedom from that bondage because every sin has slavery in it, captivity in it. It has mastery over you. It has chains to it. The chains of, well, I only want to do what I want to do or I want to only do what I feel like doing. And Jesus is saying, those are chains and only I can break those chains. There's a guy named James. He's actually the brother of Jesus. So if you can imagine that life, growing up with Jesus as your brother. Um, and James actually has a pretty radical moment where he comes around to saying, Jesus is actually who he says he is. And James writes this, James chapter 1, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then now listen to the kind of the life cycle of what sin is. He says this, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, to rebellion, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And that picture of death is a cutting off, the separation from God. It's living only for myself. It's, it's, a, it's essentially life apart from God. And James says that whole process starts with desire because sin has this gradual descent. It's the small concessions to do what I want to do. It's the small compromises for temporary pleasure that leads to long-term bondage because it feels good at the start. I mean, no one would ever have to preach on sin if it didn't feel good at least to start. And that desire to do what we want, when we want, how we want, and we put ourselves in environments and relationships that, that actually reinforce that way of thinking, that's how we remain in sin. There are all these small steps of indifference, of a spiritual casualness, of rationalizing and deflecting and dismissing and excusing all these little small steps that lead us to slavery, that lead us to death, James says. I've heard sin described as, a, as an iceberg, meaning that what you see on the surface is really only a small bit of what lives underneath. And we live, most of us, with lives that are hidden. 
which means that most of us, we live with a kind of silent slavery. We live in a kind of secret destruction. And, and, and even though you're here and you know the songs and you know when to raise your hand and you know, the, you know how to navigate and how to show up in a place like this, uh, underwater there's this whole other religion to self. And for some of us, the slavery and the chains have actually become comfortable. You're so used to them because sin lets you do what you want. Galatians 6 says that if we walk in the Spirit, we'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. So what's Paul telling us in Galatians? It means that we naturally do not want the things of God. We need the Spirit to even desire the things of God. We need God to want God because we all want to live our own way. And the more that a believer positions themselves to be able to do just what they want without restrictions and never being in a position of submitting to correction, you will not be the person that God has called you to be and you will not experience the freedom that he has won for you. And here, here's the one thing I know. You cannot set yourself free. You cannot set yourself free because the sun sets you free. The sun sets you free. Freedom is not found in yourself. Freedom is not found in an article you read or a, a post online. Freedom is not found in a book or a support group. It's the Son who sets you free. Martin Luther would preach this to his church. Anything that is not God's Son will not make me free. And this is what we must preach again and again. John Calvin would say the right of freedom belongs to Jesus alone. Augustine, conversion must be wrought in us but cannot be wrought by us. It is something that is done to us. We cannot emancipate ourselves. So what do we do? We pray. James helps us again in James chapter 5. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And what James there is saying is like the first part there is, is this tell someone that you're sinning, but the rest is all about prayer. Be, being free from sin, and this is really the challenge. This is why uh, for many of us it doesn't happen because your sin must first be exposed. And that's the thing that none of us want. If, if you go back to the garden, if you go back to the very first rebellion against the law of God, where, do, where does God find Adam and Eve? Hiding. And we've been hiding ever since. We don't want the exposure, but the Bible doesn't say the only goal is confession. What James is actually driving here to is corporate prayer. The, the goal is to get somebody to pray alongside of you so that you can live in the freedom of Christ. I, I've, I've been a Christian for a while, and um, if you've been a Christian for a length of time, you've probably encountered uh, an accountability group or an accountability partner. Um, and there's a lot of great things that can happen in those relationships. And one of the problems is that so often those relationships just kind of terminate or they just end in, in sympathy, meaning it ends in understanding. Or, you know, I feel bad along with you, but, but sympathy won't heal you. Sympathy doesn't end slavery. I, I've, had, um, I've had a couple back surgeries and I've actually had my hip replaced, so I got issues. Um, but in those moments, in both of those times, I've had to have x-rays and I've had to have MRIs. And those x-rays and those MRIs have exposed things in my body 
that were broken, things that needed real help, things that really needed to be dealt with. Now, if I were to take those x-rays and take those MRIs to a doctor or to a surgeon, and they would look at those films and they could see very clearly something in my life that was completely misaligned or out of whack or something that needed radical intervention, and they just said to me, they're like, you know what? I've had a backache before. I understand. I'm really sorry for you. I feel really bad. I feel really bad. I know, I know what exactly what it is. I know what you're going through. I'm, I'm really sorry. But that's it. No, I'd say, like, listen, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But I don't need just your sympathy. I don't need just your understanding right now. Uh, unless you operate or do something for me that I cannot do for myself, unless someone outside of myself acts on my behalf, I will not experience healing. I need power to transform. I don't just need your good wishes or your good insight. I need healing. Sin is a sickness that needs healing. It needs exposure and it needs prayer. Now, I'm not saying as soon as you tell somebody they pray for you, you'll be set free immediately, although God can do anything. But here's what I know. John 8, 36. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I don't know. I, I don't know if you will struggle until the grave, but I know how to get freedom. And freedom is sourced and found and experienced in the person of Jesus. Because confession and the prayer of others tears down the religion of self. And you're able to live in the humility and the honor of, and honor God by bringing prayer into it and you change. Even if you don't stop doing the thing that you're doing, you're still changing. It, even though you still may have some habits, you still can become more humble. You still can have character change, inward change. And sometimes habits might stick around, but you'll be increasing in humility. You'll be increasing in humility and in holiness because God is bigger than a habit. And God loves you beyond the habit. He still wants you to fight it until your dying day. But when you confess, you become more humble. And when you bring in prayer, you honor God because prayer is you bringing your helplessness to God. And it's the, the beautiful thing about Christianity is that when you bring your helplessness to God, that's actually when you experience the strength and the power of God in your life. And God gives us a whole new understanding of what freedom actually is because we think freedom is when we can do whatever we want. That's the message that the world has for you. You want freedom? Freedom is to do whatever it is that you want. But freedom for the Christian is doing what I want when what I want to do is what I ought to do. That's freedom. When I can do what God actually wants me to do because there's doing what you want and there's doing what you ought. And freedom is the ability to do what God wants you to do. He empowers you to live that life of freedom because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Jesus is not just presenting behavioral modification. He's not just presenting sin management to people because those things have no lasting freedom. There's no power there. It's the Spirit of God, the presence of God transforming you, the Word of God informing your mind and life that allows you to live a life of freedom. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed, free to experience Jesus. Uh, we're done, but I want to drive to a point here. 
Because preaching should give you something to think about and something to do. It should offend your mind and move your feet. The Son sets you free so that you can become his slave. I know that doesn't make sense. I know I just rattled some people. The Son sets you free so that you can become his slave. Listen to Romans chapter 6. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness, to rightness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. That's freedom. Being set free is not just that you stop doing something. That can be part of it, but that's not the whole of it. Because you can't experience true deliverance without discipleship, meaning ongoing, life on life, following Jesus, a move away from sin and self and a movement towards Jesus. And it's often with people that you lock arms with who pray with you and for you and walk with you as you believe into and live into Jesus because we still want the old master. So we need a new master. And we need to be led to experience deliverance. Deliverance is about going from some place to some place. The place of our deliverance, of our freedom, is to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the goal. That's the place that God's taking you to. When I order something on Amazon, I don't know how you feel about Amazon, but when I order something on Amazon, I... I, I get confirmation along the way, purchase confirmed, ship from the warehouse, 10 more stops, five more stops, one more stop, picture of it on my doorstep. Now, at one point was my item or my order delivered when it was shipped? No, when it was in my possession. You see, God's taking you to someplace, from something to something, not just stopping something, but having God start something in you. I, I praise God for, for broken chains and bondage to sin, but we need to submit to the slavery of righteousness. The goal is not just to stop sinning, but to start living unto God and to live rightly according to his word and his commands. That's the place of freedom. That's the place of freedom that Jesse walked around this world in. That's the place of freedom that I'm praying that God takes our church into because I believe that's where God's calling us to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. And God, I'm just going to pray that you just continue to, to work right now. Um, God, I believe that your word is active. I believe it's living. Um, I believe it's powerful. God, I believe that your spirit brings transformation. God, I believe that your spirit brings freedom and brings healing. And so, Father, I'm asking right now, God, that you would work and that you would do things in this place, that you would do things to those who might be listening online. God, that you would break chains, that you would set captives free. God, I thank you for your promises that are just so beautiful, but more than that, God, I thank you that all your promises are true. 
And so, God, if you offer freedom, you don't offer it as something that's just kind of hanging out there like we have to somehow mysteriously attain it, God. You're offering it to us. And so, Father, I pray today that you would set people free. As we enter this moment of communion, God, we're reminded of what that freedom costs. And God, we celebrate you. We celebrate what you've done. Jesus, we love you. Amen.